Merry Christmas all from Lane Station here, 2014, a dangerous year, it's Lane Radio! Commanders, and welcome to episode 24 of Lave Radio. This is the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host for this evening's festivities, second technician Ebenezer Scrooge. And haunting me on the orange sidewinder tonight, we have ever so retrospective and thoughtful ghost of Christmas past, Mr. John Stabler. Good evening. The jolly, larger than life, live for the moment ghost of Christmas present, Mr. Christopher Jarvis. I thought that might be me. <laughs> And finally, the grim, sober guy who doesn't say much, the ghost of Christmas yet to be, Mr. Alan Stroud. Awesome. Hi, here. <laughs> Merry Christmas, folks, and welcome. As we must do all of the show in one night, let's not tarry and dive straight in and see what you guys have been up to. Ghost of Christmas past, Mr. Stabler, starts off. I've been playing, I don't know if you've heard, um, there's this, this Kickstarter game that uh, some people have been backing, and they've just released the alpha. No. So, yeah, yeah, so I've been playing that. A lot. I've uh, been recording some videos, not as many as I wanted because I was quite rubbish to start with at playing and I didn't want to embarrass myself, but yep, that's what I've been doing with the little spare time I've had. No, that's fantastic. What, uh, what setup have you been using to record those, mate? So I got an external PVR device. Originally, I was planning on getting a laptop and I didn't, um, to, to play the game. I didn't know how great it was going to be and I didn't know what the requirements of the game were going to be. So I thought I'm going to invest in a piece of hardware to do the encoding so I don't have to do something like fraps, which may impact on the, on the, uh, the gaming experience. So I got a, this PVR, which you basically you output the HDMI to it and then it will record that in between you know, your machine and the TV and then it can spit it onto another machine as uh, like a high definition file and um the results have been pretty good great stuff what's the uh, position of frontier on in terms of putting all this sort of video content out there to be fair they were i think they took a very um practical view they basically they knew there's nothing they wouldn't be able to do to stop it i mean even if they had ndas which would have been quite um over the top really um they knew they weren't going to be able to stop it anyway and i think it's probably what drove the quality of the alpha in the end that they just said look we know people are going to do it so um just do it just make sure you report your bugs and what's the plan for the the live radio youtube channel going forward mate well as i said i haven't done as quite as many videos as i wanted i know alan's also working on some stuff um probably a lot more uh, interesting for people with like Mac setups and things like that. Ongoing, there's going to be a lot more videos because uh, as soon as some multiplayer aspects come out, that's what really interests me. It's going to be you know the multiplayer and whatever meta game arises out of that. So that's what the future of the channel is going to be. But as always, if people have suggestions of stuff they want to see, then obviously send us a message to the usual channels or leave a message on the uh, YouTube channel and we'll see what we can do. Absolutely. Uh, Ghost of Christmas present, Mr. Jarvis. What have you been up to? I'm finalising a new short audio book uh, that's going up on the Radio Theatre Workshop website. Um, this is a short story that I was asked to adapt into audio uh, by another, none other than our very own Michael Brooks. 
uh, got in contact with me and said that he had a short story that he thought would work very well uh, as an audio piece and what did I think and this sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, so we've, we've got our heads together and we've, we've sort of produced an audio script that makes it it's sort of practical for what we wanted to do. That was recorded a couple of weeks ago and I've been working on editing it uh, and also getting the Radio Theatre Workshop website uh, kind of adjusted because this is a this is a commercial product this one so for the shiny sum of one pound ninety nine you can have yourself a copy of uh, <laughs> uh, what is a yeah, it's a fantastically exciting sort of twenty minute drama and yeah it's got a nice you know it's got a different feel from some of the other stuff we've done before and it's based on a short story by Michael which was originally written as radio chatter so it lends itself quite well to, to dramatization and yeah it's just it's an exciting story about uh, a whole group of special forces squads that go into this building uh, and stuff happens <laughs> is that as much as you can tell you about the plot i can tell you it's a horror yeah i mean they just go in and you know they go in on the sort of the briefing they've been given is that it, there's a hostage situation but when they go in things aren't quite what they seem hopefully that should be out and up on the website by the time this podcast goes out uh, and if you go to radiotheatreworkshop.com uh, and click on store uh, you'll see it in there it's uh, called forced entry uh, by michael brooks Available now from the Radio Theatre Workshop. Go, go, go! From the creative team behind Elite Escape Velocity. Two tangos reported entering building three hours ago. Based on the short story by Michael Brooks. Police unit sealed area within 20 minutes. Forced entry. Flashbangs deployed. No sign of hostages. Code word Alice. All teams execute. This is no basement. Something doesn't smell right down here. Command to Charlie team. Acknowledge. Available now at radiotheatreworkshop.com. There's something behind us! And finally, the ghost of Christmas yet to be, Mr. Alan Stroud. You been busy? I have upgraded the uh my my loft area to accommodate all this extra stuff that uh, was needed for the elite dangerous alpha like john i've got a hopage box connected up to, to everything so we're recording in glorious 1080 which is very nice and redistributed a couple of monitors put a shelf up set everything so it all works so so that's all good um and karen's borrowed one of my keyboards, which is nice because it means that I actually have a desk which uh, I can put the joystick on and, and actually play, play the game. So, so that was good. What else have I done? Last week of teaching, so that's nice. Uh, we just did a crit today, which was my last session, which was uh, a horror crit, which was, was good. And I've been writing for the submission, the open submission for The Dark Crystal, uh, which is due at the end of the month, which uh, I'm nearly finished. And then Chris asked me to do him a bit of music for some obscure little horror drama by a writer that we never heard of. <laughs> um, who uh, you know might or might not be involved in a, a particular computer game that we might or might not be invested in. So yeah, so, um, so that was quite good fun. So I did a little bit of work on that, and we've kind of looked for a different style in this. So it's been it's been a bit tricky in that we're you know obviously we don't want it to sound anything like a science fiction drama, and at the same time, Chris needs to have sort of flexible options in relation to uh, the effects for this particular piece. So um, so yes, yeah, so I've been sort of recording and, and trying to manage that whilst not having quite as much of my equipment available as, as you know as I would have normally. I'm trying to help John on the, the Lave Radio YouTube channel. I do have a video. Unfortunately I was so keen to play the Alpha 
that I played it before I got my 1080 monitor working correctly. So played it at 720 and recorded at 720 and then kind of looked at it and went, oh, I can do it 1080 now. And um, so I've been a bit sort of lapsed in uh, getting the, the thing up. And also there was an audio problem anyway, so, um, so I've now fixed the audio problem. But uh, just finishing the edit of that. Actually, the first one I've done mostly goes through control options. So and then goes through the first mission. So you know that'll go up fairly soon. When you say uh, control options, mate, just to stop you there. When you say yeah, control yeah. options, do you want to just go sort of go through what you mean by that? I mean, do you just mean sort of setting up a you know, joypad or, or what do you actually mean? Uh, just a tour of the menu. Yeah, just just a tour of the options on the menu and describing what I did to set my stuff up and show you know sort of things that other people might do in terms of their setup. Not really experimenting with them all, just basically going, look, you know, this is how I set up my stuff and this is what you kind of need to do to get what you want to set up. Yeah. There's a lot of options in uh, in the control menu yeah. that you just don't look at. I think most people are so excited about getting themselves into the alpha and getting into game yeah, that, yeah. you know, they set it up to, to the basic degree, you know, is that my controller? Yeah, fine, okay, click start and off you go and they never go back to it. Whereas actually some of the missions well, a lot easier to manage if you have tweaked some of the controls. So I think it's a fantastic idea to do a video just to highlight some of those. That's why I'm a teacher. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, essentially I've I've gone through and, and done a little bit of that. And then um, I, I, I want to be a bit careful because um, the version I've done is not very comprehensive. Um, I'm hoping later on as I go through the missions, I'll be talking a bit more about you know control options that you should really be looking at. Um, in relation to the other missions. So, so yeah, it's kind of been my week, or two weeks, as it were. Cool. Well, it does sound like you have been busy. Well, uh, from my point of view, uh, obviously I work in sales and it's coming up to the end of the quarter for me. So sales have been uh, been quite busy trying to race around the NHS and get some last minute sales in. It's also the Christmas party season, so there have been a few of those. Uh, unfortunately, I kind of got my diaries mixed up and I was at one of those last night that finished at four o'clock this morning. So I've, if, I, if, if you hear a loud snoring sound halfway through the show, that will be the, the host going to sleep. Uh, it has been a very, very long day. Uh, in terms of the alpha... I was gutted when the alpha was released because we've been waiting for this to drop for, for absolutely ages. And, of course, they dropped it when I was on my way down to spend two days away from home uh, on a works function in Norwich. So there I was in deepest, darkest Norwich listening to all the guys from Lave Radio and all the guys from the forum having a fantastic time and saying how brilliant this alpha was. And knowing for a fact it was going to be 48 hours before I could actually get back and download the thing. So that was a bit of a nightmare for me, to be fair. Um, but made all the more worthwhile when i got back because it was it was a, a fantastic experience uh but apart from that uh no that's uh, that's been my week what we're going to do for this show it's our festive show so it's the last show we're going to do for 2013 so uh we're going to go through the fantastic alpha we're going to go through it scenario by scenario and just find out what the crew thought about the various different aspects of the game the graphics the control method and the actual gameplay itself and we might hear from a few friends along the way as well "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house "'came the sound of keys tapping and clicking of mouse. "'Not a stocking in sight, though there may be some hidden, "'but the chimney is blocked up. St Nick is forbidden. "'There are no snuggling children with candy-filled heads. "'Sod the long winter nap, I'll be gaming instead.' I'm not searching the skyline for eight flying deer, 
Not when I have eight alpha play missions right here. And so Christmas is cancelled, about humbug and such. And to frontier developments, I say, ta very much. I hope you enjoy stuffing your faces with turkey this Christmas. Just please, don't come to Slough Airspace to dump your radioactive waste, because we will be ready for you. Merry Christmas, Commanders. The music was Deck the Halls A by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Thank you, Kevin. Merry Christmas to you. Okay, kicking us off, we'll go straight into scenario one. Alan, what was it? The first scenario is waste disposal. And um, we all kind of had a bit of a chuckle when we saw this because we kind of <laughs> thought this might be a bit of an in-reference. Uh, we have been on Nave Radio talking about rubbish dumping in particular systems. Well, guess what? Our first scenario is declare a rubbish. And the player is sent out into the middle of an asteroid belt to go and destroy radioactive containers. What I was alluding to about the, um, uh, the little references... You're working for a giant imperial corporation called Mistopolis Mining, so the, the brief goes. Even a giant imperial corporation like Mistopolis Mining has its unethical offshoots accepting a Mistopolis Mining contract to remove evidence of hazardous dumping from a distant asteroid belt might pay the bills, but it isn't glamorous. Maybe I'll gain their trust and they'll give me something more juicy. Locate and destroy all the waste canisters. We should probably also mention when we were talking about um, yeah, little sort of in-references. Did anybody else spot the, the orange sidewinder for the loading screen? <laughs> May you be forgiven. <laughs> At this point, we would like to point out that Foz did not spot the orange sidewinder until it was pointed out to him five minutes ago. Oh, dear. Uh, that was a very, very good... Uh, attempt to try to get away with the fact that you hadn't spotted it but I'm sorry we're not going to let you get that one through um, yes I did spot the orange sidewinder it was nice and also with the one uh, on the display as well obviously the in the dash when you uh, when you go into the game so yeah no I mean you know lots of lovely little things related to stuff that the uh, people on the forums have talked about I believe it was Wookie that originally mention the orange sidewinder and bless you know then obviously to have it appear is is quite quite a giggle and it you know certainly makes you smile yeah and also i liked the uh, the little bobblehead on the dashboard uh which is the the character from um lost winds which is a uh frontier developments game that came out on the uh, or two games actually that came out on the wii i confess i can't remember what the character's called but i think someone posted on the forum the name of that character but yeah it's a little sort of zen looking figure but it's lovely isn't it the way that yeah it uh, it responds to all the movements that you're making in the ship and yeah we, we've already talked about the the fact that the cockpit moves with you but seeing that work in game it really does work and does re- it really does sort of give you a, a real sort of sense of immersion uh, as you're flying the craft around but uh, the little bobblehead moving at the same time as the cockpit it's just it's just a nice little touch yeah, it's nice. And one of the things that's sort of come up in um, sort of some chats on, in the forums, going back to this issue of, um, you know, paying for cosmetic things, which obviously we don't want to get into now. But one of the things that it highlights, I suppose, is if you're worried about cosmetic modifications being kind of immersion breaking, actually this bobblehead's quite a good example because the, the character and the game that that character from are completely different to Elite. You know, it's a very cartoony, very brightly coloured, completely different world. But actually, 
you know, here's a little nod to something outside of the elite universe, which isn't completely breaking to the atmosphere. You know, it doesn't look cartoony. It doesn't look out of place. So I think there's, you know, there are, there are certain voices calling for a, a middle ground with, with some of the thing about uh, microtransactions. And, you know, here's an example of something that, that perhaps is an influence from outside that doesn't completely ruin the experience. Especially considering no other players can see it either. So no one can complain that your, you know, whatever you have in your cockpit is ruining it for them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also, if you think about the the whole sort of premise of Elite is the fact that, you know, your your ship is, is your home. Why wouldn't you want to sort of personalize it and make each you know, cockpit as you know, as personable and as, as, as suited to you as possible? And if you think about the big uh, anaconda uh, cockpits that we'll see yeah, later on. Before we go any further, um, let's just go through the uh, through the rundown. What what systems are you guys playing and also what method of control are you using to play the alpha? Uh, John, start us off, mate. Uh, my system is a. Uh, I got the required quad core. I got an i7 4770K, which apparently is like top of the line CPU, which is good. But it is a brand new PC, so I had to do that. Uh, my graphics card, uh, and this is interesting. Um, I was like, it's coming up to Christmas, I was a bit short on cash. So I said to myself, well, I'll buy a decent graphics card after Christmas, you know, in time for things like the beta. And I just bought a cheapo GT640, um, which I thought would, you know, be able to play everything on low settings, on maybe like a low resolution. But I've been quite surprised, actually, in what I have been able to achieve. Um, I have actually been able to run the game at 1080p if I, if I turn down some of the effects, or if I just drop down to 720p. I've been able to have everything on high, so I've been actually quite impressed with the efficiency of the game. Uh, and as for controls, I'm using a Black Widow joystick. I'm now the official uh, support for that joystick on the forums, it would seem, because um, uh, obviously I've made videos and I've mentioned I've used it and I've made a big thing about it on the forums. Um, a lot of people have actually been experiencing is- issues with it on Windows 7. I can't help you with that, unfortunately, because when I had Windows 7 installed, I too had those problems. But now I'm on Windows 8.1, it seems to work perfectly so upgrade your windows is all i can say great stuff and uh, how much ram have you got in that system mate i have i have only eight gigs at the moment cool chris yeah uh, i'm running on my sort of new build system which i uh, put together we can actually knock a facebook question on the head if you like here because someone was asking about information on a cheap system uh, and i liked i think i put my system together at a pretty good budget um and it runs the alpha so far absolutely fine and, and and similarly to what john was saying really i mean i set my resolution of the game to 1080p and turned everything on and it seems to run fine so uh, i haven't actually run fraps yet to work out a, an actual fps but in terms of being playable and being smooth uh, i can't complain at all so my system itself the build it's a an i5 3330 uh, so it's a three gigahertz zero quad core uh, 8 gig of RAM. The uh, graphics card uh, is a GeForce 660, uh, which was very kindly donated uh, from someone that was upgrading their system. How many gigs of memory is on that uh, that card, mate? That's a 2 gig card, I believe. Okay, cool. In terms of video memory, yeah. That's similar, actually, to, to my system. I've got, again, the i5. Mine's the 2500. Uh, I've got a GeForce GTX 560 Ti, but it's only a 1 gigabyte. Uh, which there seemed to be a change actually. There was uh, an issue when it went out that you have to have two gigabytes onboard uh, RAM for your your graphics card. They've changed that down to to one. And I have to say, for my system, even though I've got 16 gigabytes of RAM 
in system. The, the thing runs beautifully. Everything's set to high. Yeah, I can't get over how how gorgeous a game it actually looks. So if they're saying that you know the alpha specs are actually going to be on a little bit on the high side and they're going to try and get it down, then I think this is going to be a game that's available to so many so many systems out there. They're going for a really wide market. Um, so for the person that was asking about putting together a system cheaply, I mean my system. If you shop around for the components and are comfortable to build it yourself, you know you're talking about six hundred pounds uh, for a spec like that. And would you say that was a cheap system? I'd say compared to some of the systems that I had been specking when trying to put together a box, yes. <laughs> I think there are cheaper ways of doing it. Um, but I think I, I made certain choices in order to make, make the system sort of... Because some of the individual components are quite low spec. So I went for an i5, you know, now new, on one of the lower end i5s on the basis that I've, I've bought a motherboard and a setup which can support up to the latest kind of high-end i7s, and I can replace it as and when it becomes an issue. Got you. Alan? Unlike uh, Chris, um, I essentially I've been permanently upgrading a desktop computer uh, for years in that uh, I, I started, uh, well, I switched over to Intel after my last AMD system, which was a mobile Barton that had a water cooler in it which was quite amazing and was basically being used for video editing. And, you know, gradually I've upgraded based on my video editing work and then upgraded a bit more when I started to do 3D rendering and, uh, you know, and, and sort of art images using Bryce because, you know, the grunt of the processor is important. So the spec of the system, uh, I've got a, a, an i7 system, but it's a bit older. So it's uh, an i7-2600K with four processors at 3.4. Uh, I've not tried to... So overclock it, I might do actually, because as it's in the loft, it runs quite cool because obviously the loft environment is, is quite cool and dry, so uh, it does run at uh, less than 20 degrees. So uh, I could clock it up a little bit, and obviously with the fact that I've done heat pipe clocking and I've done uh, water-cooled clocking before, um, it might be something that uh, that I'd, I'd consider tinkering with. But don't need to for Elite Dangerous. Uh, I've got 16 gigabytes of RAM on board, and the graphics card I have is a, a Geoforce 760 uh, two gigabyte graphics card. Now, the thing that you know that was actually the biggest expense I had preparing for the Alpha was the graphics card. You know, I picked that up for sort of 130 pounds, I think, something like that. So that was uh, a quick upgrade. I needed that um, uh, because. My old 460 GTX was struggling with OpenGL. Anything that um, any game that used anything related to OpenGL, it was just crashing. So I had to, to obviously to upgrade, and uh, yeah, worked perfectly well. So I tested it on Rome Total War, and uh, then perfectly good for Elite Dangerous. Control-wise, I've got some options here. I started off playing keyboard and mouse because I couldn't get my controller because my controller didn't default. I didn't quite understand all of the control types and how you assigned everything to start with. So I, I set up on, on keyboard and mouse and played through a little bit. And yes, uh, for any listeners who remember Retrolave and remember me and some of the episodes of Retrolave, yes, the first time out, I did crash into the asteroids. So let's just get that out there. Um, yes, that did happen. I then started to, to configure and, and sort of set everything up and understand a little bit more about how the pitch roll and your settings worked. Um, and I dusted off my, my incredibly old Wingman Attack 2 joystick, which if anybody else has got Wingman Attack 2 as their default controller, if John has nobly ended up as tech support for the Black Widow, then I'm sure I will end up as tech support for Wingman Attack 2 
which, let's face it, there's probably only four of us left in the world um, <laughs> that are running this thing. But, you know, it, it's perfectly adequate. It's got, you know, pitch and yaw and, uh, and roll controls, so you, know, you can assign the, the Z-axis to the, the yaw control, which uh, is perfectly fine. I uh, could probably do with more buttons because I've only got six. But, um, yeah, that's, that's essentially my setup. Yeah, mate, are you windy in your... Or, it, is, uh, loft. it is. Sorry, sorry. Yes, it is. It has just started being windy up here. Chris, Alan just mentioned there what he's using. What control system were you using? I was very pleased. I back in the dark, dark days when I used to play PC games, I had my old Microsoft Sidewinder Pro, which for the last ten years has been sitting on the top of a very high bookshelf, gathering dust. And I took it down for the alpha, plugged it into my new Windows Seven build, plugged it in. Uh, it took about five seconds to install and worked first time with Elite Dangerous. So I was quite impressed by that. So I must be the only one actually out of the crew that was actually using a controller. I was using the uh, the Microsoft Xbox controller. Uh, I don't actually have an Xbox in the house, but the uh, the Xbox controller is PC native. So it was also the one they were using in the early video. So I picked up one of those. Uh, I'd say I had no problems with it all. You literally clicked on control. All the controls were configured really nicely in the hand. Um, and I've had no problems playing with, uh, with the controller at all. Uh, there's no reason, really, that I've found so far that I've needed to go to the keyboard uh, at all. It does beg the question, if it works this well on a joypad, what's stopping them from you know, porting this later on to, uh, to the home consoles? I actually really struggled with, um, with the joypad, because actually I'd had, had the, the joypad sat here just in case the wingman attack joystick didn't work, and decided that you know, that would kind of be the next thing I'd try with. Couldn't get it to work at all, initially. Anyway, so that's what we were using to play the game. Let's actually talk about the game itself. The the first mission was a very nice sort of tutorial mission to get you used to using the you know, the scanner and also getting used to basic flight controls through the asteroids. What did what was your first impressions, folks? For me, I mean, I was there when you know they they'd launched it and everybody was was downloading it, and I was in the uh, the Elite Dangerous chat window in Skype um, and downloading it with everybody else. And actually, what I discovered during the day was that um, I got a real spike on. SoundCloud plays of because uh, the Elite inspired music section. We knew that the Alpha was coming out that day because it had been released. The information had been released in a press release to Frontiers shareholders, which had been featured on the forum. And um, so we're all kind of sitting there and waiting. What happened is instead of the usual few plays I get during a day of, of some of the music I have, suddenly I had 150 plays. So blatantly, there were a few people sort of sat there playing through music and, and kind of you know getting themselves hyped up to, to go and play the game so yeah so we did the install set it all up and yeah you know i mean we've been waiting so long it's just so nice you know to get into the game and to to have the the nice sort of understated musical store score and and see everything so so polished was really great and i think i think one of the other sort of unintended consequences of the release of the alpha is that they've actually effectively broken the forums I mean, I know a lot of people listen to this yeah. podcast because we kind of condense everything that was on the forums. But even for us, the sheer amount of traffic now that is on the forums every day. I mean, I, I log in and I just I don't even know where to start with the sheer amount of stuff that people are posting. Uh, it is just crazy. And it just goes to show how well supported this alpha is and, you know, how excited people are and impressed with the sort of quality of it. That It's just there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you do, um, I think if you do a web search now for Elite Dangerous Alpha, because I was, I wanted to look up something just on a web page, I couldn't. The first two pages of Google results were just videos. Um, so it's, it really has gone nuts in, in a in a positive way. 
The interesting thing about it as well is um, from a lot of the new people on the forums, it's, it's obvious that a lot of people have backed the project uh, and they weren't that fussed on the forums, you know, for whatever reason, they, they were too busy or, you know, the, the um, you know, forums aren't their thing. Now that they've got the alpha in their hands, they have come on the forums. Um, and I think it's a good testament to the community how um, how patient everyone's been with, with the, the newcomers, because obviously some of the questions you know have been heard before but it was yeah. nice to see a community that kind of didn't shout that down but instead look, said look here's the information and i was uh, it was a real good moment for me yeah you, you you didn't get any of the uh use the search function you absolute idiot or anything like that that you get when you you know join a <laughs> forum uh late in some other places uh but also i mean you've got to give a you've got to give a shout out to uh the elite dangerous forum uh moderators who've seen their workload go through the roof uh, since Alpha was launched. And don't get me wrong, Alpha has its own uh, sub-part of the forum for you know, reporting back in terms of bugs and you know, things that you know, the Alpha players would actually like. But because there's so much information out there in terms of the videos, you're right, you know, everybody wants to talk about this game now. Everybody's seen how fantastic it is. Uh, so the forums are so, so busy. Uh, the moderator's job is just... Yeah, I don't envy them at all uh, at the moment because, as Chris says, it's just so, so busy there. It's ridiculously hard to keep up. I'm curious about the feedback process, though, because one of the first things I read when the, the Alpha Forum went up was a note saying, don't post anything here for the developers because they're not going to read it or check it, <laughs> which kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit in terms of you know, understanding how to actually provide feedback on the Alpha. So what is the, the kind of proper alpha feedback process yeah well i i think there's two things i think there's feedback and bug reporting and i think what they meant was if um if you've got bugs or if you've got something you think is a problem obviously you need to use the bug reporting you know the ticketing system but they did have um there were various threads which the developers were reading um if you had suggestions and things like that and some of the suggestions were you know things like why is reverse just as fast as going forward um, and the developers were quite quick to jump on that and explain why that was the case. Um, it was, you know, for a technical reason. And, um, you know, it was, if anything, it was that that is how it would be in reality anyway. So, yeah, I think that's the distinction is if you wanted to suggest ideas or, you know, improvements, I think the forum was the place to go. Whereas if you were having problems, they were encouraging you to always make sure you submitted a ticket. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that was my understanding of it as well. Um, John, you just quickly touched on there about uh, you know the realism aspect, uh, which might be quite a nice segue to another question that we've got from Facebook, and that is the question of um, flight assist model in the game versus Newtonian physics uh, option in the game. Now, I haven't messed around with this much at all. Has any have any of you guys messed around with it? Can you, you know, give us an example of the differences between the two? Well, flight assist uh, off is very similar to you know f- uh, Frontier really in that um you know you've got newtonian physics and that you you basically you're controlling thrusters um rather than using the fly-by-wire system which allows you to fly it like a plane and then does the calculations and then does the thrusters for you um now I, i've tried flight assist off very briefly and i, I found it difficult um and it's meant to be difficult it, and i think that's the idea that you've got the flight assist to get you into the game and the controls are simple, but also with the flight assist off mode, uh, what they've done is, in effect, they've made the controls hard to master. 
because um, you know this is this other level that you can go to, which if you can do it uh, and you do spend the time, then you'll be able to perform certain maneuvers in, in in your ship that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And I think there's been YouTube videos of some people who have taken to it quite naturally, and some of the things they're able to do. For instance, they're able to orbit like a, an asteroid while looking at the asteroid the whole time. Uh, that's something that you couldn't do with flight assist on. Right. So, I mean, going through the, we'll go through the scenarios one by one, but are there you know, potentially areas in the scenarios which, you know, that would lend itself to, it would be more of a benefit? I, I don't think there's anything in the alpha that really makes use of it other than playing around. I think where it comes into its own, if, what few people have been discussing, is that it's useful for strafing fire across a large target. Or the thing I was thinking of is if you've got, we've talked previously about whether there'll be sort of spy photography missions, but if you're actually wanting to manoeuvre your craft kind of up, down, left and right, but not necessarily be facing in the direction of travel, then actually turning flight assist off is going to be really useful. The ability to use your your ship as a kind of uh, a drone, just sort of shifting it around, you know, very subtly with thrusters. I think those are the kind of missions where, for most players, that's where it's going to be most useful. I think that you will find purists, though, who try and uh, turn flight assist off and uh, and do the whole thing the hard way. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there will be certain people that will try and master it. And, you know, who knows, once it gets into the multiplayer uh, aspect of the game, maybe they will be able to have an advantage over the people that are just using the uh, using the computer. Who knows? We'll find out very, very soon. With that original mission, with the waste disposal mission, I found it was very an easy, nice way of getting into the get the getting into the game, getting used to the flight controls. I take it nobody had uh, had any issues with the the first scenario. No, no, it's it's straightforward. Although some people did say that there was a bug. Um, if you were very close to the canisters, sometimes your shots would go through it. Yeah, I've, I've, I had that. If, you've, if, you, if you're too close to them, you couldn't do them any damage. Uh, you had to sort of pull back a bit. Yeah, there was some uncertainty whether it was a bug or not, because in, if you think about it in theory, if you're very close to a canister and you've got two guns, then they could be firing either side of it. That They could be, but it was showing um, impact damage on the, the ah, right, canisters. Okay. The, the lasers were impacting on the canisters. They just weren't being destroyed. Let's be fair. Uh, that's one of the other things that we'll probably talk about in the um, uh, d- during the course of these scenarios. It's the fact that, yeah, full credit to Frontier Developments. The this is not the alpha I was expecting in any way, shape, or form. This is a far more polished, almost playable demo, really, um, situation as opposed to the alpha, which I was expecting it to not boot up, you know, have a few moments of gameplay, and then sort of crash back to desktop and stuff like that. That hasn't been the experience at all. I don't think for anybody really. No, although this evening is my experience with the 1.1. <laughs> As an aside, I've downloaded the update and I can't get it to launch past a black screen. But um, to be fair, because we're doing the podcast, I haven't even tried rebooting my box. So, you know, there's a, yeah. there's a few things to try first before I raid it. One last point on the waste disposal mission. And obviously it's set in an asteroid field. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was absolutely amazing was uh, just to touch on the sound, the sound on the uh, on the Alpha. And if you uh, if you scrape very slowly across an asteroid, um, the sound effect is very similar to sort of like a uh, an underwater submarine going across the bottom of the ocean floor or scraping on a rock. Uh, and that can be quite a, a sphincter twitching moment if you just watch your shields go down and then you see the sparks in the cockpit. But it's it's the eerie eerie sound of you grinding your hull. Uh, on the rock which i thought was just absolutely awesome little little tiny thing but again just added so much immersion to the actual experience thought they did a really great job with that i've I found to be honest when showing the 
alpha to other people because people wanted to see how the flight model worked. The um, that first scenario was great because it had the asteroids in, and you got a good sense of the kind of the motion of the craft. Other people who kind of came and looked at it and wanted to jump straight into the combat because that's a big open void with an enemy ship. You don't really get a sense of of how the ship handles because it's actually very hard to judge motion just in the void. So I think actually those asteroids are very a very useful first mission for for seeing that. But also maybe a you know reflection perhaps in some of the other settings it isn't as easy to tell how you're moving. No, I agree with that. Why don't we go and move straight on to scenario two? Hi everyone, this is John Harper, author of the Elite Dangerous novel and Hear the Wheel. Just wanted to wish you guys all a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hope you guys get a good break, spend some time with your friends and your family, relax, recharge, and then kick some butt in 2014. I'll see you there. An agent from Mistopolis has tipped you off about the route of the Solar Fluke, which has just jumped in. Solar Fluke being the name of a ship. Exactly where they said he would. The pilot is the guy who reported Mistopolis to the Imperial authorities for illegal dumping. Time to boil this greenhorn and let everyone know that going against Mistopolis is a dead-end career. Locate and destroy the Solar Fluke. Okay, so this was a simple uh, one-on-one mission. I can't remember off the top of my head, but did the Solo Fluke have shields? I'm not sure it even had shields. The first time I, I went after him, um, I, I took him down pretty quickly, and I didn't see any shields on him. Yeah, possibly. I think it, I think the whole aspect of the scenario is that he's a, he's quite a noob fighter. Uh, he's a noob pilot and quite an easy one for your first kill. He was flying a uh, he's flying a sidewinder, same as you. Um, and I don't know if they dumbed down the AI or anything, but uh, he was a very simple straightforward kill but it got you used to uh, booting up your weapon systems uh, learning a little bit about the targeting uh, and this is the first time really that we uh, you see the you know the holographic display information sort of really come into its own and i have to say that was that was a nice little touch it was amazing how quickly and how easily you were able to uh, sort of assimilate the information understand what you needed from that user interface one of the nice touches i thought was you know, the little holographic representation of the ship that you're obviously targeting uh, if you do score a hit on them, there's just a little sort of flash on the, the holographic display showing you whereabouts on the ship you've actually hit. I thought that worked really, really well. It was a really good indicator, especially if you're a long way away, as to the fact that you're actually making contact with that ship. I had absolutely no problem with the controller on this, on the uh, on the joypad. I found it very, very easy, quite arcadey, but good fun nonetheless. Uh, what about you guys? Anybody struggle with this one? Well, no, and, and the AI was very simple because on I think there was one occasion I thought what I want to do is I want to practice my um, you know staying on someone's six, and I thought this would be the ideal scenario, especially in an asteroid field. So I kind of followed him for as long as I could, but he ended up crashing into an asteroid himself, and so um, there was no need for me to actually uh, shoot him. Really, I didn't see I didn't see any of the uh, the NPCs actually collide with asteroids at all, so. Well, yeah, he was a proper noob in, in, for, for that one occasion. Yeah, I've seen it too. I've seen an enemy smack straight into a rock. And no, did they actually blow up, or did you see the impact on the uh, the holographic display? Uh, yeah, I think they took a bit of damage. Well, I didn't see the notice the holographic display, but um, it seems as he didn't have shields, he did blow up very quickly. I'm guessing if he oh, had so shields, he blew up. Yeah, I'm guess, guessing if he did have shields, he might have bounced off it like um, like you know you can do if if it's a glancing blow. No, nope, didn't happen to me. Um, I I chased him for a little bit, shot him down. Um, fairly simple mission. To be fair, I found the 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 second mission and the third mission a little bit sort of repetitive in terms of their content, but obviously. 
that's about testing AI, I would assume, in relation to, to Frontier's mechanics. Yeah, and I mean, how did you find just sort of generally the, the, the whole balancing issue of, um, of the game? Because up until the late, the very sort of later missions, I found that um, there was very few occasions where I was dying first time around. Or if it was, it was because of something stupid that I'd done as opposed to something that the AI uh, in the game had actually thrown up. I think there was a consensus that the game was tough, but I think that was a combination of a couple of things. I think it was firstly because, you know, people were rubbish. You know, they, you know, they hadn't. Maybe a lot of people hadn't played a, a space sim for a while. You know, they were, or they were just getting used to the controls. But also, I mean, and this has been one of the the features that Frontier Developments have talked about. They've said that they didn't want to make it easy to, you know, just shoot down a ship. You know, like in the Damocles video. Yeah. I mean, they all seem to just, you know, their shields failed and they died very quickly because that was, you know, that, that was a high impact video and it was um, very dramatic. The way it the way it works is it's it's kind of unforgiving if you're not very good at targeting a ship because you've got to hit them enough that their shields fail and then you've got to keep on hitting them to work at the hull and if you don't hit the hull and destroy them quick enough then that gives them a chance for their shields to come back on and it's almost like starting at square one again you're right as you progress through the uh, the scenarios that's that sense of triumph when you actually get through a ship's shields and then knowing that you basically what it works out is you've, you've got a timer uh, you've got to do as much damage to that ship as you possibly can. You need to pilot as well as you possibly can to stay with them uh, and start hitting them before their shield replenishes. And yeah, once that shield goes back up, and it's a lovely effect in game for that. The whole it reminded me very much of uh, the the prequels, the Star Wars prequels, where they've got the the Gungans have got the organic shields, uh, energy shields that go up. It's a very sort of similar, almost like a bubble effect that grows yeah. around the ship. It was a really really nice. I mean, you hate seeing it because you know that you then got to take down the shield again before you can actually cause any hull damage. But just watching that uh, that fluorescent blue, sort of iridescent blue, just encompass the ship, uh, it's a gorgeous effect to watch. Now, that occurred to me too, because uh, it sort of took me back to when we were reading the interviews with some of the, the graphics guys and uh, how influenced they are by you know, certain odd little effects in various movies. And yes, that put me in mind of Star Wars as well, this nice kind of liquid bubble that sort of pops around it. The other thing it made me think of is Independence Day, because there's a there's a shot in Independence Day. I don't know if you remember it, but there, it's when they sort of do their big air assault, and someone fires a, an air-to-air missile at one of the alien ships, which is of course shielded. And this alien ship kind of the shield glows, but the ship kind of bounces away. And I actually had a moment in the Alpha where I fired off a missile at a ship that I hadn't actually taken down his shields yet, and I got that same effect of this missile kind of impacting uselessly on the, sh- uselessly on the shields, and then this little fighter sort of spinning away. you got this dual emotion with the shields, haven't you? Because obviously when they come back up, you have frustration because you realise you're going to have to you know, take the shield down again. But also when the shields are down and you're looking down at the console and you're on the HUD and you're seeing the timer ticking and you're seeing their shields regenerate, you know, it's it's that real the race against time, and it, and it's it really adds to the drama. I feel. Yeah, it, it basically it puts pressure on you, you know. And I think that uh, that extra level of pressure, trying to know that you've got to do it within that time frame. Well, for me certainly, it made me fly much worse. I was much worse at oh, shooting yeah, things. Yeah. yeah, I could you know impact and shoot things uh, which were shielded until the cows come home. You know dead eye every single time but the moment that shield dropped and i knew that i had to start hitting the thing uh before the shield replenished itself uh my shots were going all over the place especially with the railgun in later 
uh, later missions, I couldn't hit anything with the railgun when the shields were down, when the shield was up. Not a problem whatsoever. Frantic is the word I'm thinking of. You go frantic. Yes, and that's exactly right. I will just say that. I mean, in terms of the difficulty level of the first sort of two or three missions, I, I was really using those to kind of get my controls configured to a way that I was happy with. Particularly in the first dogfight mission, I noticed that if the enemy ship went into a loop and I went into a loop, we were just flying around each other in circles and I, I couldn't seem to control it in such a way of being able to pull back on the guy. So this is where I then went into the controls and had a look at what was there and I found the option to um, sort of reverse your thrust which I could then change to a, a toggle switch, and then I mapped reverse thrust to a button on the joystick. So what I then found from there on in is that if I got into a loop with an enemy that I couldn't resolve, I could just pull back on the thrust a little bit, and actually it would resolve uh, that conflict much quicker, and I could get round behind an enemy ship much faster. So I think, in some respects, the simplicity of those initial stages is really just giving you the chance to really get your control scheme the way you want it to work and i'd be interested to see if that's a similar sort of thing we see in the final game yeah no agreed and yeah you raise a good point there actually about the whole reverse thrust issue because uh anybody that's been on the forums will see that that seems to be the main area of discussion around the alpha so far is that um people have said that it's too easy actually once you get into that sort of loop or you know if you've got a ship chasing you it's too easy to just jam yourself into reverse uh fly away from them and continue shooting um, to the point where people were saying, well, maybe it's an exploit, maybe it's something that we don't want actually to include in the game. John, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. And hope, and, but they said pretty early on that, um, that that's an AI issue that they're just going to fix. I suppose when they've been playing it, you know, that's not something they thought of, you know, because you're close to the, to the engine, so you don't think of it. Um, but that's the, that's the benefit of the alpha processors, that they've spotted that. Um, and that they straight away, they basically said, look, we'll just fix the AI so we can do it. But I thought the important part of, you know, as far as things with speed go, is the, the blue sweet spot um, on, on the uh, the throttle. So the idea is, I think, that um, uh, if your ship is moving slowly or if it's moving very quickly, you've got a reduced uh, manoeuvrability. However, you've got this like 50% sweet spot where you've got maximum manoeuvrability. So what you'll find is that if you are going max speed chasing someone and they go into a tight loop, you're going to have to pull back on the speed if you want to kind of match it. And it's quite interesting when you say, you know, when you're chasing someone down and they go into a tight loop, uh, it's, it's very, very subtle. But do you see the increase in heat coming from their engines? The the extra glow that comes out from the whole ship uh, as they you know, exert more energy. We we've talked about this in terms of stealth and everything else. But the effect in game in terms of watching heat and visibility uh, increase is so subtle that you could almost be forgiven for missing it. Well, to be honest, I think I do miss it a lot of the time. Um, I think that's maybe something to do with my eyesight. But you know, if you look close, if you are nice and close, you do see it, and it, it is a nice touch. Yeah, maybe just a nice thing to, to touch on there as well when you're talking about, you know, they're using the, the developers are using the alpha uh, to, to, to spot these things and do some readjustments and uh, doing some readjustment and some balancing. One of, the, uh, one of the guys from the forum, one of the guys we know very well, uh, Crash, is doing a live streaming of, um, of himself playing the alpha on Twitch TV. And uh, he's actually had quite a few of the developers sort of drop in and watch his session uh, and comment on stuff that he's doing, which, I mean, it's a fantastic to actually have devs coming in and uh, engaging with the community you know on such a you know such a personable level just to see how the 
you know, how the community are actually playing the game in real time. I think that's fantastic. Well, again, you know, kind of what I said, you know, sometimes it's if somebody comes to something new and they got a new, fresh look at something, then they're going to try something that maybe you haven't. Um, and so I think much as some people look at alpha as a reward, you know, I think the developers are going to get some real value out of it. Um, and hence why they had a combat alpha in the first place, because it is something very, it is something that's very important to, you know, the whole balance of the game. And you're only going to be able to get a true reflection of that by watching, you know, Joe Public play it. Hi everyone, this is Ashley. Um, Merry Christmas to everyone on the forums and have a great new year. Okay, let's move swiftly on to scenario three, Alan. Your contact is pleased with your progress. Sadly, their way of doing business tends to create enemies. One of those enemies is an experienced pilot, the Crimson Triumph. He's been plundering the Mistopolis mining bases. Rather than getting head office to send an enforcement unit and drawing attention to their dodgy practices, they've offered a big fat bounty instead. Be careful, though. This guy knows what he's doing. Locate and destroy the Crimson Triumph. Well, I mean, basically, this is very similar to the second mission, except this guy is a bit more clued up, the AI is more intelligent, and so it's just a better test of your combat abilities, really. Uh, okay, so the, the third scenario with the Crimson Triumph, this is, again, another sidewinder, but this time with slightly better AI and also with the inclusion of uh, shields that replenish if you don't destroy the ship fast enough. Um, probably a good point actually at this stage to talk a little bit about the weaponries now uh, earlier on you've had uh, so far in the alpha you've had the, the cannons which are pretty much pretty, like modern day miniguns they have a little bit of a time to you press the you press the fire button and there's a little bit of a, a build up and then it starts spitting out uh, spitting out projectiles uh, interestingly in the uh, in the information we've been given it turns out that these projectiles these sort of uh, cannons are actually the, the, the stealth weapon uh, of choice because they don't produce as much heat uh, as your as your lasers do. Now this is the first mission that we actually see a laser and it's a pulse laser. Uh, how did you guys get on with this? Well, straight away I was loving it because I'm a big fan of lasers, pulse or beam. And with the with the cannons, you you have the issue of I mean obviously you get used to it quite quickly, but you have to lead them because there's a travel time. Um, so what happens is when you've selected a target, uh, another kind of target will appear in front of you know where it's where it's travelling to, and so you need to aim in front of it uh, to catch it. Whereas with the with the lasers, because it's an instant travel, um, you just need to aim at the ship itself. With the cannons, I have to say, it took a while for me to get used to the fact that you, you had to obviously fire in front of the target, but not only did you have to fire in front of the target, but you had to you know, press for what, half a second before the gun actually started firing whilst it span up. And that was quite a learning curve for me. I kept on expecting it to be you know, the instant pew-pew of lasers. And it kept on throwing me when I had the target just, just lined up perfectly. Uh, and then, of course, by the time it actually started spitting out projectiles, the target was gone. So... That was uh, that was quite a nice touch, but it was a bit of a learning curve for uh, for the actual game. The pulse lasers, however, these were really sort of nice because they straight away, if you were in the right place, you'd hit the ship, you'd see the the holographic display you know, light up with those hot spots on their shield, so you knew automatically whether or not you'd got the hit. On the ship itself, you'd see the uh, the actual exterior shields. You know, the blue shields would also light up with a hot spot, so you know you'd hit them. So, and there's also that nice effect we talked about how uh, when the shield comes back online it goes blue and it sort of you know molds itself around the ship but if you actually take down the shields it does the opposite you know you see it go red and then it just sort of dematerializes um just leaving the the, the ship's hull completely exposed 
I don't know about you guys. We're talking about destroying other other ships. I actually found I hated it when I saw that the you know your shield warning flash uh, on your display that your shield had gone because you knew that the next thing that was going to happen was there was going to be a change in sound effects. You were going to start hearing the sort of the thud 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 impacting on your ship, and then you're going to start seeing little sparks fly up from your you know your cockpit uh, as your system started to take damage as well. Uh, really little subtle things, but really, really good for in terms of immersion. Well, one of my first bits of feedback that I sort of thought about the game that I, that I posted on the forum was that actually when my shields were taking damage, a lot of the time I didn't even realise I was being hit. Uh, I don't know what it is about my setup or you know my, my, the, the way my sound is configured here, but I really the, really the first time I was aware that I was taking damage was that sparking in the cockpit. And I think for me, I don't know if you know, I don't know if it needs another visual cue or if it's you know purely just a, a sound setup issue. But but really, I, you know, I'd like to know <laughs> when I'm taking damage on the shields. Uh, but for me, it was unless I happen to notice the icon of my ship flickering and those shields disappearing one by one. I wasn't even really aware that anybody sort of had me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that shows up quite uh, quite a lot when you've got the multiple enemy uh, scenarios. When you're so solely focused on what's in front of you, you don't actually see the holographic display flashing as your shields are disappearing. Uh, I think you're right. I don't think the sound cues were quite high enough um, to let you know that you're actually being hit. Uh, the other thing I would just mention is the um, the sparks that you get from the the dash it's a little thing but um it's the same sparks and same animation um just at different parts of your ship and uh i thought that was a bit okay it's just an alpha but i'd hope to see more sort of not procedurally generated sparks but just something with a bit more variety in that animation maybe yeah well i think the previous uh, development diary when they were actually discussing the hud destruction they were talking about you know fire and bits actually falling away so i i get the distinct feeling that actually the sparks are kind of just like it's not placeholder but it's, it's not fully implemented and i think perhaps in in the final thing you will see a bit more destruction and it'll give you a better idea of of the damage that's occurring they're, plan- they're planning a special one for you Fozza. it's a little moon <laughs> on a stick <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I didn't get the moon on a stick joke. Oh, you need to. You're not. You're not seeing Fist of Fun, then, have you? Uh, it's, no. just, it's just an expression. It is, but I think Fist of Fun popularised it. it, didn't it? I don't know. I've, I've only ever known it as an expression. Yeah, it was around in the in the early nineties. Yeah. It was really yeah. For your benefit, Foz, a moon on a stick is an expression meaning you're you're asking for something really unreasonable. Oh, really? So here you go. I've got the moon on a stick for you. Ah, uh, okay, fine. Thing. Yeah, no, that went completely over my head. Uh, okay. I, I think the issue is, and, and again, this is why alpha feedback is so important, is because um, you know I think the feature of the shields is they absorb the damage, and so uh, you know the feature is obviously you're not necessarily could become aware of it because you're not seeing much physical uh, effect. You're not like getting thrown around all over the place necessarily, um, and so I guess you know you just got to keep an eye on, on the red. Uh, on your shields to see if they go red on the HUD. But I think that there's been a lot of feedback saying that, you know, um, you know that there needs to be a bit more of a an audio cue, mm. perhaps, um, or even ideally, like, force feedback on a joystick or something, like a slight buzz, just so you know that your shields are getting impacted. And so I, I think that's something that they're going to seriously consider. Yeah, I mean, just going back to uh, the sparks and the uh, destructible dashboard, I don't want to appear like I'm you know, asking for the moon on a stick here. It's just, you know, let's be honest, they've done a fantastic job of uh, implementing the, the cockpit destruction. You really do get that sort of 
yeah, that sense of tension when you can see the cockpit in front of you starting to crack. And even though it hasn't happened to me, you can see on some of the videos where you, yeah, people have actually had that whole cockpit, the whole glass uh, smash out in front of them, and the uh, you know the remlock kick in, and the change in the sound effect, the sort of the Darth Vader, the heavy breathing, showing that you've got the uh, the oxygen regulator going through. It's just a really really nice polished effect. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for scenario three. Alan, what's in scenario four? Recon Wing. Rumours are that local federal forces are taking an interest in some of Mistopolis's more recent finds. Your contact is concerned enough about the Imperial Inspectors and doesn't want two superpowers sniffing around. It's vital to take out this small Federation re- Recon Wing without leaving a trace. Hopefully, a patrol going missing this far out on the frontier is not so unusual. Locate and destroy all the Federation ships arriving in the system. This is the scenario where basically you've got four Federation fighters jumping into system and they are non-hostile until you open fire with them. Uh, But the nice thing about this scenario is you've got the different types of weapons. You've got the gimbaled laser, which tracks for you, and also the missiles. I don't know about you guys, but obviously the the Federation fighters are actually quite a weak enemy. Uh, So in terms of taking them out, I didn't actually find it was that much of a problem. As long as you stayed on the move and you kept an eye on your shields to make sure that nobody was behind you taking down your shields, this was actually quite a pretty straightforward mission to complete. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think the the key thing here is that actually you've got use of the tracking laser, you know, to begin with the burst laser, which is really, really good. And it's a, a slightly different method of, of sort of setting up. And also the fact that you've got these these targeting missiles. So really, it's quite procedural. What you you know you do is you you know charge right in, pick one of the enemy, and go at him with the laser gun until the shields are down, and then fire a missile at him, then turn around and go at one of the others. So it's quite a nice way to get into a combat where you're taking on more than one individual at once. And the the federal fighter, certainly the way in which it's calibrated at the moment in the alpha, the federal fighter doesn't really seem to be a decent match for the Sidewinder. They need to hunt in packs to to really take the Sidewinder on. Um, I'm assuming, possibly, and you know, I could be could be wrong in this, but I'm assuming later on that the Federal Fighter will be a little bit quicker. So I mean we'll see. Well for me, I mean this this highlighted, you know, it wasn't just a case of more targets. The fighters are actually more nimble than the sidewinders that you'd met beforehand. And so when you were engaged with one of them, you probably found it harder when you were in a tight loop with them to, to catch up with them. That's that's what I noticed anyway. But obviously, you know, they weren't as difficult to kill. I, th- I think as well there was a you know we've we've heard stuff from Frontier about how you know there's going to be a certain amount of judgment needed in some of these battles and I found that with these uh, I think the four on one was the first mission that I didn't complete first time um, and I got killed in and I think there was the first time I kind of even having taken out the first fighter very quickly I did have to kind of basically you know hit the thrusters and run away from the battle in order to allow my own shields to regenerate before I could turn around and get back into the fray. So for me, it was a bit of an introduction to maybe the, the you know, the elite way of doing things, whereby, you know, some battles you might have to put a bit of distance between yourselves. Yeah, and it was definitely the case that the missiles helped in that scenario, because, you know, if you were trying to stay on one of their six and hit them with uh, with a laser all the time, you know, you were basically ignoring, you know, up to three other craft that were on your tail. And so what the missiles allowed you to do was to fire and then forget and then perhaps take some evasive maneuvers and again what we were talking about before about the uh, you know just the, the subtle graphic changes you were correct in terms of the uh, the federation fighters being much more nimble 
But uh, to see the increase in heat come from their thrusters when they actually sort of did a tight turn and stuff was a really, really nice effect. There was a couple of times where I just sort of you know, chasing one down and was just watching it uh, light up its thrusters to see which direction it was going to go in. Uh, and they're all really sort of subtle cues, but they give so much more immersion to the game. Hi there, Michael from Frontier here. Uh, wishing you all a Merry Christmas. I uh, hope you enjoy your uh, festive season and uh, I'll see you in the new year. Thanks. Okay, uh, next scenario, scenario five, the wolf pack. Alan? Scenario five, wolf pack tactics. Mistopolis has been having trouble with a persistent pirate in the Misfortune, uh, that being the ship name. He has taken out one of their patrol ships, so they are sending two of you on a contract to get him. Work with your wingman to destroy the misfortune. I got a bit confused with this mission because it, it mentions the wingman, and I thought maybe there was going to be a feature in it, like in the old, you know, in the original Wing Commander, and also I think in iWar 2, where you have the option to signal your wingmen via radio and assign them targets. So I thought, you know, when you went into this battle, you were going to be able to say, well, you know, you attack that one or you, you know, you defend me while I attack. Um, and I couldn't find going through the options any way of communicating with my wingman. So I don't know if I missed something or if you were just supposed to be aware that your wingman was doing something as well. I don't know. I, I kind of missed the point of this mission, I think. Yeah, apart from the fact that you had a, you know, an NPC that wasn't an enemy. Uh, that was supposed to be helping you, but you're absolutely right. I, I couldn't find any sort of means of communicating with him to sort of attack my target or anything like that that you've seen in the, yeah, in the in the space sim uh, uh, stable. And to be honest, I didn't actually find him that useful either. Uh, I literally didn't have any effect on my gameplay whatsoever. I literally just cracked on and and pretty much took them out all you know, all on my own. Mm. Uh, John, was that the same for you? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't know whether that's because you know his AI wasn't scaled that well, so he wasn't very useful. I mean, he barely even acted as as much of a decoy, really. But I guess you know it's an early mission with with an NPC, so maybe it's just giving you the idea that it's just making you aware that sometimes you'll be fighting with friendly you know people, and so don't shoot the yellow blob on your radar. Go for the red one. Yeah, absolutely. And we do see that later on in the scenarios in terms of factions, which we'll come on to in a bit, where you. You know, you're actually fighting with uh, quite a lot of NPCs, and there's no means of communication in that uh, mission either that I could find. So, I mean, that's not to say that in the final game, yeah, there's no means of communication. In fact, I'd I'd hope there would be. In the same way that I hope, you know, you would also be able to to hire mercenaries to uh, to go along on escort missions and stuff with you. And if that was the case, you'd want certainly want some sort of means of communicating with them, either you know, go and attack the target or stay and defend the transport, that sort of thing. Yeah, something even if it's something nice and basic, uh, you'd hope they'd implement that in the final game. I mean, it might be speculative, but um, it depends on how they want to play the game, you know, and how much emphasis they want to put on multiplayer. I'm guessing in the in the final game, if you want help to go and do a mission, you're going to have a human player, and so communication should be a bit easier. Yeah. So, do you think there'd be no um, option for NPC support in that case? I wouldn't be surprised if there's missions where an NPC wants to come along with you for some reason. I think you know. I think we are. I think we are going to see NPC wingmen in the game. But whether you can give them commands—that's that's the question, I guess. Yeah, I just I don't see what value they have if you can't. That's the thing. I mean, um, you know, like Fossil says, if you can give them priorities or communicate with them. And I remember even in you know that that very early wing commander, the very first one, the the wingmen kind of had personality in the sense that you had you know 
um, the character Maniac, I think was I found him such a nightmare in most of the missions I went on that I actually killed him myself at the beginning <laughs> of the first mission just so that he wouldn't appear for the rest of that, you know, for the rest of that chapter. And um, I just can't see. I think every game I've played that's had an, an AI sort of buddy that you don't have any control over what they do at best they're just eye candy and at worst they actually get in the way of the game you're trying to play well i i I don't want to get ahead of ourselves i think i agree on this one that he's next to useless but i did think on the um uh, when you were up against the anaconda that actually your wingman helped a bit more as if their ai was a bit more intelligent i mean for instance they wouldn't attack until you attacked and then once you did they would actually go for the same target or whatever yeah, we yeah we will touch on it when we uh, we get to that scenario. But uh, I found that I really couldn't I couldn't complete that mission unless I uh, had done a, a decent job of keeping my wingmen alive towards the end. But we'll talk about that when we come onto the scenario. So yeah, so apart from this one being a nice introduction to uh, an NPC uh, wingman, uh, I didn't find it particularly taxing at all. I found it was uh, quite a straightforward one to uh, to to fly straight through. Do you guys agree with that? Well, the the enemy here is a cobra, so he's obviously he's a little bit tougher than some of the, the ships that you've flown against before. Um, slightly different tactic of taking a cobra on. They appear to have better weapons at um, at a longer range than you, so you kind of have to get a bit closer. Uh, but the asteroids do help in this scenario, and having someone with you kind of helps because at least that other person can draw some fire, which uh, which takes them away. Um, I have to say, I wouldn't want to go up in you know sort of clear space with multi cannons uh, in a sidewinder against a cobra. I think that uh, as weapons, they're perhaps uh, probably not the ideal choice. But that said, I mean you know one pass through and shields are down, and then it's just a case of plowing as much damage in as you can, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you say one pass through and the shields were down. Um, is that with uh, your weapons? Uh, systems fully powered up, or is that using the uh, the spread of energy through your your weapon systems, your uh, shields, and also your engines? Well, I've not really gone into starting to modify the the energy management uh, at all yet. So really, it's it's just on the default settings that it that it sets into. I think that you know the the later tactics that people have have done with energy distribution obviously gives you a little bit of a an advantage in some of the missions, but um, at this stage, I think uh, just having a second target in the vicinity is probably the, enough to enable you to get round the Cobra. And the fact that the Cobra is a bit ponderous, you know, he's yeah. a bit slower uh, in terms of his turning circles. So it gives you a bit of a chance in the in the asteroid field, certainly. I would say though that for this one, I did use energy management, um, and I don't know if it was just because it was really nicely, conveniently placed on the the joypad. It's just on the yeah, the D-pad and that you push up to uh, to power up your engines. You push the left-hand side to power up your your systems, and then you push to the right-hand side to to power up your weapons. With it being so uh, intuitive and so easy, then yeah, it was quite easy to switch between the two. So if I had a straight-on uh, attack run to the Cobra uh, from behind, say, it was very easy just to shove all of the energy straight into weapons, put as much uh, lead into them as I possibly could. And then as soon as he started turning, I moved straight back to systems to make sure that I had engines and shields uh, to try and escape. So this was the first mission where I actually tried to use the uh, the power management. And on the control pad, it was really, really easy to do. Yeah, I found that on the joystick as well. It, it defaulted to the um, the little D-pad on the top of the joystick. Uh, and I found, you know, from quite early on missions that I was 
you know, pumping power between the different systems depending on what was going on. You know, there, there were some, in some instances I really just had to plough everything uh, into shields and engines and completely yeah. power off the weapons uh, even to be able to get out of a fight in one piece. I think they've got the power management system sorted on this really well. Uh, it's very, very quick and easy to do. Uh, certain games that we've seen in the past, uh, it can be quite a quite a cumbersome task and quite difficult to know, you know where you've actually distributed your energy. You know, 70% on that one, uh, 20% on that one, and 10% on that one. Uh, with this one, with the user interface, it's very, very straightforward. You can just see by the bars going up and down. And just by having sort of up, left, and right, and having the three settings, it was really intuitive to actually be able to quickly adjust as you're actually fighting. Citizens of the Empire, Senator Drew wishes you well at this time of merriment. For your dedication and delight, I vouchsafe a small ditty, a tale from the frontier. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the verse, bounty hunters were stirring with promise of a purse. Radios were tuned to delay frequency, in hopes that clues on the mission would be there to see. But Frontier were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of press releases danced in their heads. With David in his cobra, and Brooks in his asp, they'd just settled down from their enormous task, when, out of hyperspace, arose such a clatter with a clamour of weapons fire and some antimatter, Away to the viewscreen they flew like a flash, no time for shaving that immaculate tash. The sun to the right of the planet of Lave gave a rather nice lens flare for the awakening Dave, when what to their wandering eyes should appear but an imperial courier minus landing gear with lasers of fire going pew, pew, pew. They knew in a moment it was Senator Drew. More rapid than frameshift, onwards it came, engines ablaze and shields aflame. A message flashed out on the comm frequency. Lower your shields! Can't you see that it's me? To the top of the station, to Docking Bay 4. Dash it all, David cursed. This must mean war. As heat-seeking missiles before the burst laser fly, the ship surged onwards fast across the sky, and trying to line up with the docking bay door, it scraped off its paintwork and crashed on the floor. But then, in a twinkling, as the atmosphere purged, the airlock opened and rushing air surged. They arrived in the bay, and were turning around, when down the hatchway the senator came with a bound. He was dressed all in black, with his jewellery too, but his clothes are all tarnished in noxious green goo. I thought I was safe! I turned left at the plough! But psychocows be dumping radioactive waste back in slough! The name struck fear particularly to Brookie. Psychocow, that villain! He claimed I was a Wookie! David said with a frown, I'll give him a thump, or I'll be forced to unleash the power of my jumper. 
Oh, I rescued the princess. Her name's Kate Russell, Drew said in aside. She's not quite Darcy Bustle. But plans had to be made, and my, how they grew, as Kate summoned the might of the Lave radio crew. Now, Stabler! Now, Fozzer! On, Jarvis and Stroud! Get that harper called John! Oh, and that anthology crowd! A bounty was placed, a great hurly-burly. Let's make sure Psycho Cow retires early. But an argument broke out, twixt David and Drew, about what was the best way to ensure how they flew. Flight assist off, David insisted, quite cross. And Brooks was no help, he just agreed with his boss. Kate intervened and said, Look, physics rocks! It's got to be true, so says Brian Cox. So victory was won, Psychocal was defeated, his weapons destroyed and his shields depleted. The DDF danced with the news of his passing, relieved to be free from the stench of outgassing. So Drew dropped Kate off, went to Slough they got near, waving a cheery goodbye to the gods of Frontier. But they heard him transmit on a tight, narrow beam. Right on, Commanders. Congratulations, David and team. Merry Christmas, citizens, and a glorious Imperial New Year to you all. Next scenario, Predator and Prey. It seems the Federation incursion is a more serious affair. Scouts in Federal fighters have been dropped off in the system, and a local merc in a Cobra has been employed to look out for interference. Your contact is not worried about the merc. He's just paid to prevent any local interference. But he wants you to take out the Federal fighters. Avoid detection by running cold, using only low-temperature weaponry to avoid any unnecessary heat signature. Briefing. Locate and destroy all the Federation fighters, while hiding from the Merc in a Cobra Mark III. Right, and what I will say with this mission is it's the first mission that I really started to get a bit frustrated with. Um, I couldn't get my head around the whole energy management system when it came to sort of running silence. I know the, the delete button on my keypad basically put me into silent mode, but even though I was in silent mode with no engines running or anything like that, my heat signature kept on rising. It seemed a little bit counterintuitive to me. If I wasn't moving and I was running in silent mode, then surely my heat signature should disappear. So this one took me quite a while to uh, to get my head around the fact that you know you had to go in there, you had to use your your cannons, which are your low heat weapons, and then also use the heat sink for the first time. And this is deployed as if it was a weapon. You basically cycle through your weapons, find your heat sink, and then by launching your heat sink, you dump all of your heat out of your craft, which then makes you harder to see again from the yeah, for the cobra. Whereas the more heat you build up, the quicker the cobra would actually find you and just take you out. Yeah, this this is another one that I was curious about quite what was going on in it because um, I've, I really liked all the heat management stuff and it, it kind of makes sense to me that when you run quiet, actually the heat buildup inside your ship is almost worse, uh, I suppose because the craft is configured um, for holding the heat in rather than letting it out and making you sort of spotted. So you have to, I think, I, th I think this is how it works, I think you have to dump your heat much more often when you're running in silent mode because you're masking your natural heat signature by sort of storing the heat up, which obviously 
in the, in the long term, you know, will, will damage your systems. The thing that I found strange about it, I, I really liked this mission from an immersion point of view because um, I liked sneaking between the rocks and trying to make sure that the, the, the Cobra mercenary was was far enough away from me when I actually then powered up my weapons and shields to take on a Federation fighter. The thing I wasn't clear about is because I did the mission first time without ever triggering the Cobra coming after me, I wasn't necessarily sure how much it worked. Do you know what I mean? I, I almost kind of didn't test the failure of the mission. You know, what would it have actually taken for the Cobra to show an interest in me and come after me while I was fighting the Federal fighters? I, I almost needed a kind of a positive failure, if you like, in order to understand the mission a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, well, take it from someone that had many, many, many unpositive failures on this one before he got the hang of it. For the Cobra, definitely, if you start using your, your laser as opposed to your cannons, the Cobra pretty much jumps straight down on top of you. Same if you're trying to run silent and you don't uh, release your heat sink. Same thing again, it gets to a certain level and then you get the little dialogue message pop up from the Cobra to say, you know, I found you and then he takes you out again. So it does work uh, and it is quite uh, it is quite quick once he locks onto you with your heat signature. So it took me a long time to get through this mission. As soon as I found out about the heat sinks uh, and used them properly, then it was quite nice, as you say, for the immersion of sort of sneaking through the asteroid field, uh, trying to keep as cool as possible, getting close to the Federation fighters and wiping them out before the Cobra says, hey, what's going on over there? And then comes to investigate, by which point you've already cleared out and you know, you're running cold in the opposite direction towards your next prey. Once I got the hang of it, it was a really good mission, but intuitive, it wasn't. No, and, and for me, the best tactic was certainly, uh, the first thing I did was look at my radar spot the fighter that was furthest away from the Cobra and then went straight for that one uh, and obviously using the um, the cannons rather than the beam laser which they kind of gave you <laughs> and uh, as a kind of like uh, you can have this awesome weapon but if you use it you're in big trouble so um, but that was the way I did it I was, once I killed one I then looked for the one furthest away from the Cobra and went for that one because the Cobra once he spotted you he'd send you a cheeky little message yeah. and he'd that was it you know you, you had to take him on then really but it was quite good because if you did get behind a fighter again they were friendly because they were scout ships and so you had the edge that you know you got on their six and you'd get some good shots in before they uh, would maybe signal the cobra or you know um their friends i guess yeah and speaking about the cobra i think alan you had a different approach to the rest of us for this mission yeah i, I completely ignored the advice went straight at the cobra killed him and then killed all four of the ships. You see, so, I think that's absolutely fantastic. It just goes to show that there are different ways, there are different mission paths, even in the Alpha, um, to success, which is obviously you know, one of the key things about Elite, is that you could just play it your own way. Yeah, I, I think with this, I kind of, um, I had quite limited time, and I've had quite limited time to play the Alpha, so I've actually been very conscious of trying to um, improve my flight skills, so try and sort of concentrate on particular things, um, and the the stealth element I've really not focused on at all at this stage. So I actually, I, I think it was on my second play through the missions that I, I kind of did a load in a run. And um, with Supply Strike, I decided, okay, well, now let's, you know, I tried it one way first up and I think I got missiled and then probably ran into an asteroid again. Um, and then so second up, I thought, right, well, okay, well, I'll just go for the Cobra. I just went straight for him. And because killing him doesn't activate the federal fighters you can actually just one-on-one -on -one him 
in a similar way into the way in which you, you managed the previous mission. And then having one-on-one to him, you can go at the other guys in a similar way in which you managed recon wing and kind of take them out with the same tactics, uh, just obviously not with missiles this time. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I, I like the fact that with these missions, the way they're structured, they're quite carefully calibrated. The way they're structured, they make you feel really good when you achieve them. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I felt like, you know, top of the world because everyone else was struggling with trying to keep quiet and, <laughs> you know, getting surrounded. And this guy's coming and taking me out and he's really scary and blah, blah, blah. I just went out and destroyed him. So, um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. I'm guessing you were using the uh, the one weapon that none of the rest were actually using in that mission. You were using yeah. the beam laser? Yeah, I just went straight at him, you know, straight at him, full full blast, beam laser and uh, and everything. I loaded everything I possibly could. And then um, kept uh, kept my speed up so that I was in nice and tight because I learned that from uh, the previous mission with the Cobra to try and stay tighter on the Cobra uh, and keep pouring the fire on once the shields are down. Took him out very quickly and then turned back. And actually, it had taken me the the fight with him took me quite some way away from the other ships. So um, it took me a little while. The the longest part of the mission was journeying back to come and find them again. Interesting. Okay, well that's going to do it for that scenario. Moving on to next. Hi, this is Dave Salazin Hughes, creator of the Elite Encounters role-playing game. I'd like to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Fly safe, Commanders. Our next scenario is uh, Supply Strike. The Feds are still interested in this system. They are bringing in supplies and more survey equipment. Little do they know of the danger. You are here to ambush this group and prevent them setting up. Boil the transport, big score, and bag yourself a fat paycheck. Destroy the anaconda, big score. Okay, and this is where things really start to get fun, because this is the first time we actually see not a capital ship, but certainly a big mother of ship. And the idea between this, obviously it's got its escorts, but you had to get in. You've had some uh, some NPCs, which you've always said, you can't control them. But on this particular mission, I think the AI was actually dialed up a little bit higher because they were actually very, very useful in taking down the Anaconda. But how did people approach this one? John? Well, I think it was partially through dumb luck. And, you know, I'm st- I still wasn't the best combat pilot ever. But, you know, I went for the all guns blazing. And it just so happened that I found myself right at the back of the Anaconda, right by the engines. So I almost took him down. Uh, I think it's only because I started really panicking because my ships, uh, my shields failed, that I then deviated, and then obviously I got in the path of his beam laser, and then I kind of tried it a few more times. This time I was staying at it for the distance, and I ended up dying even sooner. Um, and I think that the first time I defeated him, it was actually in a video that I was recording, um, which involved me going up close, firing a load of missiles and a laser, and then bugging out of there for a while and then I actually rammed the anaconda at one point <laughs> um, uh, and then I bounced off him and then I turned around to see that one of my wingmen finished him off with a shot and uh, yeah I, I completed it. Jarvis? Well I actually the first time I came to this mission I'd already seen people chatting a bit online about how difficult it was um, and I actually followed Grant Psycho Cow's advice of coming in really low behind the Anaconda and sitting right behind the engines and then just ploughing everything you've got into it. And honestly, I, I completed this mission first time. Um, I just I, I got in behind the 
anaconda, you know, dangerously close. Nobody even twigged and attacked us. Um, and then I set all my energy to weapons. I opened up with my energy weapons until his shields disappeared. Um, and then I fired every missile that I had. But I ignored the escort. I ignored my wingmen. Uh, it was just, you know, shock and awe. And the thing went down. I mean, the, the other thing I'd say in terms of, you know, f- you know feedback about the alpha, and I, and I put this on the forums, is that I actually I got so close to sitting behind the anaconda, I actually thought I probably shouldn't be here. I, I shouldn't be here and not be taking damage from their engines. You know, th- this shouldn't be somewhere that you can sit and attack a craft. So I don't know if it's, you know, probably just a limitation of the alpha that that um, particular approach worked. <laughs> yeah, although you're absolutely right. I, I struggled with this one because um, the Anaconda itself, apart from the escorts, the Anaconda itself has got that big beam weapon, uh, but also it's got the, the cannons. They're sort of like almost like flat cannons. Uh, so if you come too close, you know, your shield gets taken out by them. And then if you get hit by the beam weapon, it's, it's pretty much game over for you. So, again, following the advice on the forums, because I was struggling, I died time after time. But following the advice on the forums and from, uh, from Psycho Cow, uh, it was the the advice was to take out the escorts from a distance, sort of lure them away, take them out from a distance, and then, yeah, basically fly at the anaconda from the behind, shoot at their engines, wait until the shields go down, and then just unload all of your uh, missiles. Uh, but I found even when I was doing it that way, unless I kept some of those wingmen alive, unless I was quite quick in taking down the escorts and still had sort of one or two wingmen left when I went for the anaconda, I didn't have enough weaponry to take down the anaconda before it took me down with either the cannons or the beam laser. And there was one odd thing, and, and I didn't mention it on the forums, and maybe I should, but um, if you were like looking at the anaconda, you know, shooting it, and it had it had its beam on you, I didn't think it was actually obvious it was like impacting on your shields. Yeah. Because it just looked like it was stopping short in front of you. And yeah. it was only after a, like a couple of seconds that you twigged that your shields were getting drained. Yeah, so it was almost just like a flickering light at the top of your screen, wasn't it? It, it didn't sort of convey the sort of... <laughs> enormity of the beam laser that we've been hit with agreed agreed um, yeah <laughs> sorry I, i'm just juggling between all sorts of things um yeah no uh, agreed um i think the the sound effect attached to that beam is absolutely incredible yeah but the animation attached to that beam yeah it just kind of you know it doesn't look like it's actually hitting you so i think some kind of splash effect or something might um might sort of be benefiting there i really struggled on this mission i think probably because you know i i went at it to start with i went at it to try and go up to these guys without triggering them as close as possible and then unload at the anaconda similar to what what chris had done go up behind the engines and do it and i probably just didn't do it as well as he did um so i tried that several times and then just got completely obliterated by the escorts completely obliterated by the anaconda and then eventually decided okay let's let's go at the escorts first and that took me quite a few tries but eventually i just think that you know more practice with the control method and everything else and uh, and i got through so uh, so then uh, i lost all my wingmen typically what happened is that i fought the the escorts the wingmen survived the fight with the escorts and then they'd they'd go do an attack run on the anaconda and i'd hang back and so they'd do an attack run and get blown up <laughs> and then i'd i'd kind of as they were just getting blown up i'd be able to just drop in a few beam laser blasts to take the shields down 
and then do my own attack run later on and just unload every missile I had uh, into the back of the ship. The thing I did notice with this mission is this is where I discovered that you could target individual components of the ship. And that I thought was quite interesting. I did experiment with that to start with and it didn't really work for me because I don't think I could recognize where the shield generator was on the Anaconda. So much as my my targeting system had picked up the shield generator, I don't know whether I was actually able to, you know, to hit it, as it were. You know, it could have been on the other side of the ship, I wasn't sure. So, But certainly it was an interesting addition to find how you could lock onto a component of a ship. And kudos to Karash, because I believe on his live stream he actually targeted the beam laser and took it down. Really? I didn't even know that uh, that had been implemented. I'd seen the... Because uh, you just press Y and it goes through the, the subsystems. There's nothing... Uh, maybe it's just the smaller ships that I tried it on. There was nothing on the ship to indicate sort of like a change in um, you know, targeting points or anything like that to indicate where the subsystem that you've highlighted uh, is on the ship. Is that different for the Anaconda? And the Anaconda, does it sort of light up somehow? Um, I, I thought that, and I haven't, I haven't played around with that myself actually, but um, I was led to believe that when you target a specific section, it, it's highlighted on the ship. Right, okay. Any of you guys noticed that at all? No. I, as I said, sorry. I, <laughs> sorry. As as I said, I I couldn't really see where the targeting was. I could see that it was still targeted on the ship, but I I wasn't sure specifically where on the ship the element that I targeted was appearing. Yeah. So that's why I thought maybe it's something that uh, I mean we'll go and check out Crash's uh, streaming, but uh, I certainly didn't see any change in targeting uh, on the ship to indicate that I was actually targeting uh, a subsystem. So maybe it's something that uh, it's not quite out yet or we just haven't seen it or it's going to be released in the later alpha. So obviously we, we probably all died a couple of times trying out that mission, uh, which is slightly different to our next scenario where I think we all died a lot of times. A very Merry Christmas Lave Radio from all of us over in Comms from the Frontier. I hope you have your brandy well stocked, your turkey basted and your orange sidewinder decked in lights up plenty. Now, a word of warning. Make sure you keep Jarvis out of the drinks cabinet, Stabler away from your wives, Fozza away from the turkey if you know what I mean, and absolutely keep Alan Stroud away from the cooking time calculations, or you'll get a charcoal bird and sprouts as hard as David Braven's balls. Otherwise, have a spectacular alpha-fied Christmas and an even beta new year. Ho ho ho. Ho. Yeah. Scenario number eight, incursion. It looks like your contact took on one investigating ship too many. More ships are coming now. Hold these off to prevent confirmation of the value of the system. Destroy all the incoming ships. And you see, when you say it like that, it just sounds so simple. This is basically, if anybody's played um, sort of survival games, uh, where you've just got wave after wave after wave of, uh, of enemies coming at you, that's pretty much what we've got in uh, in the incursion mission. Now, I believe uh, it ends at wave 10, which I think is what people in the forums are saying. Uh, I, however, haven't got any further than uh, than wave 7, uh, so I can't comment. Uh, this is the only mission I haven't actually completed. Uh, any of you guys completed this one? Um, I don't think I have, and I don't know what wave I have got up to. Um, I played it a few times, but... Um, the problem is, unlike the other ones, um, the final scenario unlocked at the same time. Yeah. So it was too tempting to go and try <laughs> the, the big battle and, and, you know, to see how your graphics card are going to handle it and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, no, I, I don't think I have finished it. And it, it is a tough cookie. 
But I love that whole survival idea. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to try and claim credit for it, but I think ages ago on the forums, I said, you know, this zombie survival idea is something that, that can kind of be taken and put into other games. Um, and it's a nice mission that can kind of, you know, crop up anywhere. You know, you just need to give it, you know, a different narrative and, you know, you've got to go and defend something or, you know, you're in a certain system and you've got to clean up pirates and you just got waves and waves. And I, I think it's it's really fun because it's it's a real it's almost like a, a nice objective way of measuring your your skill and it's something you can talk to your friends about you know and you're saying oh, i got i did this mission and you know other people recognize the mission and it's like well did you do it first time how many times did it take yeah you know what where did you get to and i think that it can it it allows you to have a kind of uh, competitive uh, experience without pvp yeah uh, and there was a few people on the forum saying, you know, well, I got to wave seven, I got up to just after the Cobra, or, you know, I managed to get all the way through to level 10 and, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, there was a there was a certain element of uh, competition, but having played this mission ooh, more times than I can count, at the end, I had to hold up my hand and said, look, I am obviously just a wave seven player. You know, that's my level. I don't seem to be able to get any further past than that. Uh, and just to quickly give you a rundown of scenario, each wave consists of either a different number of ships or a different type of ships. So you'd start off with maybe the Federation fighters. The next wave would be uh, some sidewinders. Uh, the wave after that would be maybe maybe a few more Federation fighters. Up until you get to, I think it is uh, wave six. No, sorry, wave five, where you are confronted with a, a Cobra. Is it a Cobra and also some Federation fighters, or is it just a Cobra? I'm not sure. Just the, cobra. just the cobra just the cobra I can't remember. yeah so on level five where you're confronted with uh, a one-on-one with a cobra um what you were saying earlier john about frontier developments making the emphasis on uh, making it difficult to take down a ship well that's certainly the experience you get when you're trying when you take on this cobra it really is a sort of almost like uh, two heavyweights sort of just slugging it out for the full 12 rounds i found it very very difficult to sort of take down his shields and then be able to take down sufficient amount of damage onto his hull to take him out easily every single time. I think it was probably about four or five times uh, I would have his shield uh, replenish and have to start the whole process over again, whilst at the same time trying not to get hit by his weapons, which were significantly more powerful than mine. Uh, a few hits from his weapons and my shields were out, and it was a question of running away and ducking for cover, try and maintain uh, some element of hull integrity whilst at the same time trying to line him back up to take his shield down again. And yeah, that what we're talking about before about a sense of uh, achievement. When I first took down that Cobra, I was absolutely ecstatic just to have yet more waves arrive on top of me when I had, I don't know, maybe 5% hull left. It was both sort of euphoric and at the same time a little bit disappointing. You knew you weren't going to survive for many more waves after that. Yeah, well, I, I actually, I mean, I confess, I thought with this mission, I mean, it's so hard. I, you know, I certainly haven't finished it myself. And I was actually just assuming that it was a continually respawning random wave thing because I never got to the end of it. Because, I mean, is it just me? But the whenever you complete a wave, the new ships that jump in always jump in immediately in the direction that you're flying. You don't, you don't have to turn to fight them. They no, always, if you destroy um, the last ship and just keep flying straight, they will always appear in front of you. Okay, I didn't find that at all. Oh. Yeah, no. That maybe I, maybe I should raise it. Yeah, I, I, had to, <laughs> I had to go hunting hunting to find them every time. Oh, how weird. No, it, literally, I mean, the, the, the hyperspace point of the next ship appearing would be in my crosshair. 
Not even just on screen. They would be dead ahead. I think that happened with the first couple of waves, uh, but then they started appearing all over the place. John, can you remember how far you got in this one? Honestly, I can't. You know, I mean, you say you got to wave seven. I mean, you might have done better than me, to be honest. I, uh, um, if uh, The thing is, if I really wanted to beat it, you know, I, I could sit there for, you know, for hours and just do it and do it until I beat it. But, uh, you know, I was worrying about doing videos and things like that. <laughs> okay, so you think you have the ability within you to actually go all the way, all ten rounds? Yeah, yeah, I've got an excuse basically. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, well, we'll we'll have faith in your ability, and uh, we won't we won't push you on that. But yeah, fine. Okay, and on to the final scenario. I'm Teddy Riot, and I'm here to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. We're awfully sorry Randy Berger couldn't be with us tonight. He's too busy stuffing his turkey. Which is strange, because only the other week he was telling me he was away to choke his chicken. Well, that's all from BS News. Have a Happy New Year and a very Merry Christmas from all of us at the BS News team. Good night. Okay. Um, final scenario, factions. You come across two opposing forces fighting it out. Choose a side and see if they will reward you for helping them or enjoy mayhem as an observer. By shooting a ship from one of the groups, the whole group will turn against you, but the other group will see you as an ally. Try the balance to get your chosen side to win. Yeah, and certainly with this one, uh, I spent probably the, uh, the first mission certainly just being in the observer as they mentioned because it is a fantastic space battle that kicks off in front of you you've got what is it two anacondas per side and lots and lots of federation fighters i haven't actually played it yet i've unlocked it but with the fact that we got incursion unlocked at the same time i'm at about the same place as you Foz. i've just defeated the cobra and i'm i'm sort of on the the fighter just after that so i think i'm a wave behind you but i've only had enough time to do that um and I'm not going to play factions until I complete incursion. So oh, really? that's kind of why. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've, I kind of feel I want to, you know, save the best for last. Well, and it really is the best as well. I mean, the first time I literally just watched them all slugging it out, and it's, um, it's kind of if you can remember back to um, what is it, Return of the Jedi, where you see the big space battle going off over Luke Skywalker's shoulder. It's that sort of thing. You see lots and lots of weapon fire going off all over the place. Uh, and you can get really close to the anacondas because obviously you're you're neutral. So it gives you a real good opportunity to just go and scan the level of details that they've got on these big, big ships. Second time round, I hedged my bet slightly uh, and I just waited to see, because they both appear, they appear either yellow or, or red on your screen. You basically uh, pick one and then... Uh, Obviously, the opposite faction will come and attack you. Um, so I waited to see which colour had the least amount of um, <laughs> the least amount of ships left, and then I basically joined the side that was winning. And it, you do get a whole sense of uh, sort of just chaos, absolutely chaos. There's, there's ships flying around you all over the place. You really got to use the radar to to sort of hone in and to what uh, what ship is a good person and what ship is a uh, you know an enemy combatant. And then once you've got one, you literally just have to try and focus on that and, and, and chase them down, try and forget about what's going on around you. But it, it's really, really good. If they can get that sort of level of space battle going on in the game, uh, it's just going to be epic, really epic. I suppose there's nothing else anybody can say because I'm the only person that's played it. <laughs> 
No, no, I've played it. Oh, have you? Um, yeah, sorry. The one thing I was going to say about it was, um, you know, you, you start off neutral, yes, and, um, you know, apparently you can stay neutral by obviously not attacking anybody. But I did find if you tried to fly right through the middle of them, you know, to get a good view, if one of them did accidentally shoot you, then you would go into combat effectively. Yeah, and so... Uh, I don't know. I mean, is that a bug or is that a feature? Because I guess the idea is that if someone shoots you accidentally, then maybe you could say, well, if one of their, you know, one of their friends saw them shoot you, they would assume, therefore, that you are uh, an enemy. And so that that's how you explain why they would all of a sudden then turn against you. Again, I completed this mission first time. Um, my my confusion with it was when I I was surprised when I got to the end of the mission and it told me I'd won, and um, because every contact on my radar was red, so whatever I'd done in that mission, presumably everybody hated me by the end of it. Um, but all of a particular faction had been destroyed. I'm not sure. Uh, no, basically you two different colours. One faction was red. I don't know what the other ca- faction was. I think it's yellow. Mm. If you joined the red faction, then yeah, it, you would basically want there to be nothing but red left on your radar at the end of it because they're obviously the people you're fighting with. Right. Oh, I see. So it's not the red are your enemies. I assumed red were enemy contacts. Actually, mate, hold on. No, tell a lie. I've just been playing it as we've been talking, and no, I'm completely and utterly talking out of my arse here. No, you're right. The contacts are basically yellow until you choose a side, or, as John says, if you get hit with some crossfire, uh, then that faction will actually turn red, uh, and they're the targets you need to take out. So no, you're absolutely right. I don't know how you've managed to survive if everybody at the end of the scenario was still red. Uh, so fair play for that one, mate. So how did you end up at the... That would be a bug then, Chris, if you ended up winning, and yet there was nothing but red left on the uh, on the radar. Well, no, I mean, my main thing was I wanted to I wanted to try that mission again, and because and, I've, only, I've only played it once, I wanted to play it again and, and figure out what was going on with it. Um, I just I haven't had a chance to. That was only my, that was only my impressions of, a, of the first one-off. What I remember of it was that I was surprised when a thing came up saying, well done, you've won, and my radar seemed to be full of red contacts. It was like it just it made me think of um, there's the game Alpha Protocol where it has this dynamic thing in some of the missions that determines which NPCs are enemies and which ones are friends. Um, and I think in one battle I ended up with all of the parties being my enemies because I couldn't tell them apart. And I think I shot at friends and foes alike, which I thought maybe I'd done in this as well. I couldn't be sure. That's why I wanted to try again. Okay, well, that's going to do it for the scenario debrief. Guys, what do you think? Just sort of general overview, general thoughts, things that we maybe haven't covered with the uh, individual scenarios. What's been your overall impressions of the Alpha so far? Well, the one thing that has been mentioned, obviously, is the railgun. Oh, absolutely. The railgun incursions, yes. Tell us about that. Well, I'm a big fan of the railgun because I like weapons that require, you know, um, a bit of skill, especially a skill that can be developed over time. So obviously when you first use the railgun, it's it's very different to any other weapon because you've got to hold the button uh, and then it's got to charge and then it will discharge and fire. Somebody on the forums recommended they change it so that you hold the button till it charges and then when you let go it fires. I, I disagree with that because that makes the weapon too easy to use. I, I love it the way it is because you know it, it adds a sense of timing to, to your weapons. And I thought it's great because obviously it's a very powerful weapon, but because of the way it works, they're able to balance it in a way that it actually uses less power than a normal beam laser, but at the same time it's quite devastating. 
So I'm a big fan of that, and I'm looking forward to, you know, what you can do with it in in the final game. For instance, I can see that that weapon would probably be a lot better to use against larger ships because obviously it's going to be harder to miss them. Um, but also, can you put it on a gimbal? Yeah, you interesting. Know? Or would that make it just too easy? I mean, it brings up the question of do you want to have certain weapons that you can't gimbalify is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, by the way it seemed to have worked with with the laser they had on the gimbal, it seems to be the case, and I think it's been mentioned previously, that if it's on a gimbal, you can't use as big a weapon as you could normally equip onto that hard point. So what you do is you're paying a penalty for having a gimbal. So whereas you're going to be able to hit people more often with it, you're not going to be able to have as a powerful weapon. So, you know, maybe you could have a railgun on a gimbal, but it's not going to be as powerful as a regular, just non-gimbaled railgun. Yeah, no, and certainly for the incursion uh, mission, uh, one of my tactics was to sort of take down the shields with the uh, with the normal sort of laser uh, on the Cobra Mark III, and then uh, once its uh, shields were down, try and line up a, a, a nice shot with the railgun just against the hull, and that caused massive amounts of damage uh, on the Cobra uh, in a very sort of short space of time, which yeah allowed me to get in there and, and do the maximum amount of damage before their shields came back up. So. Saying that, what we were talking about before, about when uh, the shield goes down and things get frantic, I found it very difficult to hit anything with the railgun, purely because I was panicking about trying to get the hit in before the shields came up. So yeah, that, that extra level of sort of franticness uh, really works well with the... Uh, it's both frustrating and quite invigorating. It makes the, the times that you do get hits with the railgun just that much sweeter. Well, again, yeah, as you said, you know, it's a weapon that can suit the cool customer who isn't going to, you know, as you get better at it, you're not going to go frantic and you're not going to worry too much. You know, when you're in the zone, as they say, then you're able to keep, you know, with practice, you'll be able to keep ships in your reticule a lot better. And then I think that obviously that's going to really help you use that kind of weapon. Yeah, all in all, it's a fantastic weapon. Uh, I look forward to seeing what else they're going to do with it on later stages of the Alpha. Uh, John? Didn't you say that the, the 3D had also been improved as well? Okay, so uh, one of the good things I've noticed is um, with my graphics card, if I wanted to have 3D um, in a game, um, there's an optional software uh, package that I need to download, and that costs about £50. I think some cards you buy, it might come bundled with it, but in the case of my card, um, they wanted 50 quid. So well done for Frontier for actually building the 3D into the game engine itself. So that's now saved me £50. Thank you very much. I know not everyone's a big fan of 3D, so I can understand people not bothering. But the frosting obviously it was very obvious um, on the cockpit. But I found that, you know, the micro scratches that they kept on referring to, you know, I didn't always pick them out. But in 3D mode, they're far more pronounced. And it's a lot easier to see them. And, you know, they're, very, they're a lot more textured. Really? So... Yeah, yeah. So if you do have access to a 3D TV, give it a go. I don't know if the anaglyph will be anywhere near as good as you know uh, proper polarized glasses, but um, it's it's definitely worth checking out. And I can't wait to get an Oculus Rift on this. Well, that's going to do it for the Alpha. Obviously, for this one, we've been focusing mainly on Alpha 1.0 because that's what we've been uh, playing the most. They have just released in time for Christmas the Alpha 1.1. John, do you want to just quickly take us through the changes in this one? So yeah, I was talking about 3D um, before. 3D wasn't built into to the Alpha. It was something that if you wanted to do, your your card or the software had to support it. They've now added 3D. 
native to the application. So it now works on 3D TVs. They've added the old Anaglyph 3D, which is uh, the glasses with with the two different coloured lenses. Um, I haven't tried that because I don't have a pair of them. Um, so I don't know how good it is because it is kind of limited in 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 what you what can be represented on a very busy screen. But also, more importantly, uh, for some people, is they've added Oculus Rift support. And surprise, surprise, even though people have been asking it for ages and Frontier, just I, I don't know, whether, I just haven't seen them address it, is Track IR support. They've just decided to bundle that in as well, um, which has made a lot of people's um, Christmases, I guess. Um, other things they're include, they've included, they've said that they've taken on board some of the, uh, the feedback they've had on um, the Alpha forum. Um, so I think that's going to be addressing things like uh, AI difficulty and maybe some of the HUD stuff. They've actually added in, if you remember the original game of Elite, the Compass, that has now been added in. So it's easy for you to see the large masses such as planets, moons and space stations um, and guide towards them because uh, they don't necessarily appear on the radar because uh, that's more now geared towards heat signatures. What else have they done? Oh, uh, it's apparently it's more stable, but I never had any issues. Uh, hopefully, more people are going to enjoy it. You've missed the most important extra feature that they've changed, especially okay. considering this is our festive edition. Okay, so they've they've removed the bobblehead, <laughs> which was. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love the bobblehead. Um, it was a great way for them to obviously show off the G-Force and the cockpit. But we now have a Christmas tree. Very festive. Thank you very much, Frontier. <laughs> okay, let's leave that one part. Uh, I think it's uh, it's been a great alpha first release. It really has. And I can, I think everybody can agree it's been a fantastic phase one alpha. I just can't wait for the next round of alpha to be released uh, sometime in the, the new year. But rest assured, I will be continuing to play alpha 1.1 I will continue to play Alpha 1.1 until uh, the next one is released. Um, okay, well, leaving Alpha behind, we'll just quickly scan over some of the other information that's come out from Frontier Development. Uh, we've had a newsletter released by Ashley Barley, uh, basically going through uh, some of the various aspects about the Alpha, the various different departments within Frontier Developments, talking about you know, parts of the Alpha that they were involved with. Uh, there's a really nice uh, picture, actually, of the full... Uh, development team down in the Cambridge office sporting new mugs that were a gift from uh, Grant from PsychoCow from the forums. Uh, he got the whole development team some Thargoid and Ferdelance mugs designed by Mobius and uh, produced and uh, created by by Grant. Uh, so the whole team from Frontier Developments, they're sporting their, their gifted Christmas mugs. And peak of the week, Alan, what was the peak of the week? Uh, the peak of the week this week, um, we've got a, a robot that uh, has been shown up on the forums. It looks like a concept design sketch rather than something that's actually appearing in the engine at this stage. But the interesting thing here is that you are, and you know this kind of corresponds to the alpha, you're kind of finding out a little bit more about the corporations, the big corporations that are involved in the game. Uh, Mistopolis Mining has been mentioned already in the alpha test, and... As I said before, they come from, from the Frontier Journals originally. There's a mention of them in the Frontier Journals, in the Frontier First Encounters Journals, rather. Um, and here, with the Achilles Corporation being mentioned on the, uh, the concept sketch, again, this is another company that has come back through the old games and is, is now featured in the new games. So, you know, it, it just shows attention to detail, a little bit of diligence and, and a real nod to the games of the past and the fans um, so the fans can appreciate it 
Awesome stuff. Okay, so before we wrap this up, Alan, do you want to just take us through the messages from the community? Anything on the social media that we should know about? The Facebook questions, there have been a couple of bits and pieces uh, uh, talked about whilst we've been on air to ask us questions. There's been some discussion of Craig Alderson has asked about flight assist off. I have to say at this stage, we've kind of mentioned we've not really experimented with it very much. I've certainly seen a few people playing around with it. And obviously they've uh, they've managed to track around things, and, and John's talked about that a little bit. But I, I, I'm getting the feeling that a lot of people are finding playing with flight assist as a toggle has worked fairly well for them. So they're you know they're using it for certain things and then turning it back to to normal flight assist mode um, after turning it off for a few seconds. Colin Ford has replied again uh, now that he's uh, managed to get his poster and obviously knows that there is a target on his head. Um, yeah, no, I, I guess I should probably put a bounty on him, really, shouldn't I? Um, that would probably help, because as everyone's aware, I usually crash into asteroids whenever I fly, so I'm unlikely to kill him. Only kidding, Colin. I'm getting pretty good. That was actually quite funny. If, I'd been mute, if I hadn't been muted, you would have heard me chuckling. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, I, there's a bit of wee just came out. <laughs> Alan, unlike him, I was actually being serious. I thought you were No, I was, I was. I I did chuckle, to be honest, but then I thought, no, this is a great opportunity to take the piss. I'll so. refer you back to my video of the man with the naturally sarcastic tone of voice. Hey, hey, you know, I, I'm sitting here in a loft where the wind's blowing, you know, like a gale, so it just feels like the tumbleweed's coming by. You know? Oh, dear. <laughs> Good. Okay, so finally for this episode, some shout-outs. First of all, Karash uh, from the forums has got his live Twitch TV streaming of the Alpha. If you want to check that out, you can go to twitch.tv forward slash Karash Landing. That's Karash, K-E-R-R-A-S-H, Landing. For all your live streaming of the Alpha, check it out because it's got some really good discussion going on around there, uh, and it's quite interesting to see how other players actually play the game. Chris, fantastic audio. Yeah, the uh, Fantastic Books um, Kickstarter has, as of this evening, as a well, point of recording, um, reached the £20,000 mark, which is excellent. Um, we've still got a couple of weeks to go, and we still need people's support. You know, as we've said before, you know, even if you've already pledged or even if you're not willing to pledge, uh, you can still help out a huge amount just by sharing the link. Um, and for convenience, you can share tinyurl.com forward slash fantastic audio. Um, and it'll just, you know, I think the, the the elite community have been absolutely fantastic. And I think the point we've reached with the Kickstarter is, you know, the elite community have pretty much done everything they can. Um, and what we need at this point is a wider audience and to find those those science fiction and gaming fans, um, you know, that are out there that would love this project. Well, that is it for the Christmas Alpha episode of Blade Radio. This is our last episode for 2013. So thank you very much for all your support and feedback for the show throughout the year. Uh, Thank you to our special guests who have created messages and been playing them throughout the show. Congratulations to the Frontier Development team on an excellent initial Alpha release. And as always, if you'd like to contact the show, you can at info at laveradio.com, on Twitter at laveradio, Facebook at forward slash laveradio, if you'd like to check out our YouTube channel, you can just search for Lave Radio. And if you'd like to get in touch on Skype, we are Lave.radio. If you'd like to take part in Retro Lave or the Conclave, you can by adding Fozzer101 to your Skype contacts. That's it for this special episode, and that's it for 2013. We have one final special message to share with you, and then 
I think it's only fitting that as we're going into 2014, the year that we all get to go home to the Elite Universe, that we are played out by a fantastic piece of music written by Mr Stroud, entitled The Return of the Elite. A massive thank you to my partners in crime, the crew of the Orange Sidewinder, John Stabler, Chris Jarvis and Alan Stroud. Have a fantastic festive period and we'll catch you all in 2014. Hello, this is David from Frontier. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, it's been great. It's been so exciting getting to where we are now. It's, it's fantastic to have the first phase of the Alpha out and the response has been, has been really good and much appreciated. Um, so um, good news to come for the new year, which we're all also excited about, but have a wonderful Christmas and New Year in the meantime. Thank you very much. Bye.
Okay, hang on a second. Uh, I have to quit back out to get back to the scenarios. There we go. Right. Final scenario. Mm. Sorry, <laughs> that was really rude. <laughs> I, I thought I, I was muted. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've we've all done it tonight, haven't we? Hi, I'm Grant Walcott, Cycle Care from the forums. I'm here with the rest of the Retro Lave team to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. Christmas. Oh, The fact that in mission mission ten that um, Santa comes by, <laughs> you know, and you you get the chase after him. He he's obviously not an enemy, you know, to start with. But then you can shoot him. <laughs>